0: your own
1: sound. protect your language yes, declare independence don't let them do that to you declare independence Hello and welcome to On Resistance. This is Bobby. Uh, today we will be talking about the media
2: and the state of it. So we're going to start with a report back today on a town hall meeting held by the city and the police commission's office on body cams and cameras for police.
0: Thank you, J-Ray. i <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Today I went to the town hall meeting. Uh, actually... It wasn't necessarily a town hall so much as the police telling people that they are pretty much buying these body cams. They already bought the body cams. They're just telling people how they're going to use the body cams. There's a police officer that gave a lengthy presentation on how these body cams are going to be used. Something like a few G's per body cam, and then they opened it up for public comment. Stop LAPD spying was very well researched in their investigation into a lot of the tools and technology that the police are utilizing to expand their surveillance provided really difficult questions to the police. Police then said, understand that this was not a forum to ask the community if these policies were going to be put in place. These cameras are already bought. And this is something that we were willing to do with the community to provide a way to talk about how they're actually gonna be deployed. A lot of the points people were making was that this isn't necessarily, this is an interesting narrative that they're confusing the, the root issue, which is state-sanctioned violence, the growth of the surveillance state apparatus, and that none of this is really going to solve any of the the issues with people being killed by police because we already have instances of body cams on cops and how they turn them off. The police didn't address the question of cameras on antennas that police were breaking. There were like hundreds of cameras last year that were broken um, on the antennas of their police cars and they didn't address that. Uh, so it was it was a community forum. Um, we've seen these a lot. We've seen these a lot of times where the city will hold some sort of participatory forum and they, you know, they've already went along and moved forward to actually implement this gang injunction or implement these policies, buying more equipment to help the surveillance state of the police. So my my issue is always like, what's the what's the point if they're just not listening? What's the point? Um, so they can say they did it. So they can say that yeah, that they did it pretty much, and that's I guess that's my my report back on that.
2: Thanks for that report back, and thanks for going to that meeting. Uh, let's get right into it.
1: First, investigative journalism. Do you think that, given you know the power of the state to be able to prosecute and basically criminalize journalism, is it practical for independent journalists to do real investigative work without having the
2: backing of an institution behind them? I feel like it depends on on what it means by practical like does it serve a purpose I think that we have a deficit of investigative journalism and I don't know if repression is exactly what led to that I'd say it's a combination of repression and capitalism people are very career centric like that woman that met with us from LA weekly that we did that review of Beyonce's superpower Uh video she wanted to care about politics and I think Uh a lot of people want to care about their work and understand power but a lot of people don't because it's a job for them. And so investigative journalism isn't rewarded. We see whistleblowing that journalist we've talked about before that was killed in a high-speed crash Michael in Hollywood. Michael Hastings. Michael Hastings, Aaron Schwartz, who wrote a cyber manifesto about why people should go into institutions of power and actually take their academic resources and expropriate them and make them available to people. And they were prosecuted, even though the institution and JSTOR... Didn't want to prosecute them. The state still prosecuted him, and he ended up dying in in prison. So I think investigative journalism, it's necessary. I don't think it's safe. What's the line we walk on this radio show a lot is how much we want to say. We're already being targeted. We're already being repressed. We know that's part of the path. But we still choose, like on our domestic terrorism, a conversation in policing show, we put up a picture of Commander Smith. And that's because, you know, I'm not worried that he's going to target us because his picture's up, because he's already targeting people in my community. So there's a fine line. I guess what I mean by um, practical is I recently watched
1: Kill Messenger, and that's uh, the movie based on Gary Webb, the um, journalist that did the investigating uh, report that outed that the CIA was basically using the flooding of crack cocaine in black communities in Los Angeles oh, okay. to fund for the Contras in uh, Nicaragua. And the thing that I kind of took away from the movie, he didn't have the support of his paper when the state started to go after him and try to delegitimize him as an individual for, for basically outing them for what they were doing. And so it just kind of made me think of myself, someone who wants to do more investigative work. If I don't have a guardian, like Glenn Greenwald had, would he be able to, you know, have been able to produce all those, like, leaks and in information if you didn't have, like, the power of the institution behind them?
0: I feel the institution does help a lot to legitimize people, but the institution, it's also relative to every other institution within the state apparatus. It's like the media is always, always listening to the police first and foremost, um, they're all we, we literally have to record conversations with the media to for them to spin our story correctly the way we want them to, without paraphrasing or without completely changing the narrative of what we have to say. I guess it does provide that level of protection. Like you were, you were saying before that as people who are pretty active, uh, actively trying to expose the absurdity of law and order and the state apparatus and growing fascism in America, that's, you know, dangerous. But I do feel that there is a reason why they aren't necessarily crushing certain individuals who might have a particular amount of social capital because we've provided... A lot of knowledge and words to people. Yeah, knock on wood. But like <laughs> But like on the real they try martyring certain individuals who are propagandists. And what happens to those words, you know, what happens when people find out that oh crap <laughs> these people, you know, must have been saying something really powerful. It would only act to fuel it's happened to a lot of these leaders of movement and you can be in an Oprah and be like, oh, where are the leaders at now? When this, this movement, I'm not seeing any leaders, but it's like, well, look at all the, where are the leaders, where the leaders went to? Like what happened? They didn't just like <laughs> go, they were killed, you know? So it, I think, but we're finding... In a lot of social movements today is, we were talking about earlier, decentralization. It's not just providing horizontalism for people to actually be heard, for everybody to be heard and everybody to have the same amount of clout as everybody else. It's actually a tactic. It's actually a strategy that we provide so that we don't all get... Because, cru- you know, they can't crush everyone who's who's doing... The- There's a lot of people That I'm finding that I'm when in my organizing that I'm finding out that are doing a lot of work. And I feel like there's so many of us that they can't pinpoint who's doing all of the, all of these things to agitate. There's so many people that are doing so many different things to agitate that I, they're, you know, at a kind of loss this, this movement around. So I feel like when it comes to investigative journalism, I would hope that more people just start doing it if more people on social media everybody has a social media platform if more people were to provide this kind of investigatory outlook on the news or in providing their own autonomous media outlets that would really help people who have who are exposing really intense stuff and In turn, yeah, they they might expose a lot of things. But when you look at Facebook or when you look at Twitter, a lot of things that expose um, corruption or supremacy or rooted interlocking systems of domination, it's already out there. You know, it's already exposed. What more can they do? Are they going to really go after the millions of people that share this information? I mean, there are other ways they can manage that. They could just do like other countries have done and just shut it off, shut all of those media outlets off. But there's so many people who are resisting against this kind of tyranny.
2: So if an institution or an organization could provide a layer, maybe an extra layer, but also the institution, because it does have those relationship with other institutions, could also work against you and undermine you and sell you out. And that's how I feel about any space, in the workspace, in any kind of institutional space. And if I go to an organization that invites me to their action and then I show up and I show up as who I am, you know, and I ask questions, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to ne- want my participation anymore. And so it depends, like I think, what you're investigating because institutions have, have an interest, a self-serving interest in maintaining themselves, just like any organization has an interest in maintaining itself. That's why affinity groups are great cuz they adapt to information and they can reflect and their change. I guess that's a side note.
0: Are y'all against like people creating their own institutions like within their own communities and providing like is it the act of is it the very act of things becoming institutionalized or that like people can create their own institutions and provide for people I that mean, they know and
2: But I feel like the institution that you're talking about is not the institution that has legitimacy by the state. Mm -hmm. So like autonomous groups, are we creating an institution by having this collective?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm not so sure we are, but Mm -hmm. we are participating in this institution that is KPFK to kind of house our creative process. So -hmm. we do have a relationship with this institution and I think people could have relationships with institutions to kind of manipulate how the state reads legitimacy And unfortunately, this just happened with what's happening in Long Beach. There's a couple of us doing a panel and we were participating Uh with an institution that people couldn't find space through the schools because you have to go through a bureaucratic process to get space in the schools. And so someone reached out to a local community space, Cal Barts, and they said it was okay. But then right before the police called the owner, said that we would attract the wrong crowd, said that ideas were too radical, basically, that we were going to be incendiary (laughs) And the space immediately pulled their support. And so that institution was granting us access to it, and we had space, and that's something that we we don't have access to. We don't have access to space. And by being in their space, we didn't have to be in public, and so that means we're less likely to be repressed, because if we were in public, the police could just roll up on us. So we were like, okay, we'll go with this institution. They'll give us space, and the police sabotage that. And by sabotaging that, it kind of also restricts our access to legitimacy. Because if we were going to be housed in an official Cal Barts cultural arts Long Beach space, Mm. it legitimizes our ideas to some degree. So that is a real process of attaching yourself to institution and kind of your ideas appear more credible, but intrinsically they're credible regardless of whether they're validated by an institution. And so the police sabotage that. And so now we're going to have it in a different space that is not like that institution. It's not an institution at all. And so, to that degree, institutions can kind of work, you know, for or against you, and it's always a temporary relationship because I think they're, they're interested in maintaining themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if affinity groups or autonomous groups or community groups are only interested in maintaining themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's our critique of leftism and leftist organizations, which are only interested in maintaining themselves and ignore the lived experiences of people. Investigative
1: journalism, though, it takes a lot of resources, like, and it takes a lot of credibility and access. And so it takes a lot of sources. And when you look at a lot of the leaks that have been happening, just for the fact that Edward Snowden chose to go to Glenn Greenwald and Laura Portras, is like is because they had some sort of already credibility. And it only then continues to legitimize like certain journalists because they only continue to be given that information then therefore whatever institution journalists at, it gives them more power. So then you have where David Cameron goes and pressures, you know, the Guardian to destroy this information. And Guardian, you know, does it. And so you have it where like these institutions therefore one have the resources and powers to get information that the public deserves to know, but then at the same time because they're also like beholden to the state and the people that are being, in fact, investigated, then that makes us so they're easily can get compromised. Decentralizing journalism and media is important, but then also how do we protect ourselves when you kind of create that risk?
0: Well, now there's a risk on both sides in regard to this Charlie Hebdo, Hebdo. Now it's like people are really afraid of there being a response to racism. Their ideas or their religion is being attacked or something, and then suddenly, you know, extremists come in and re- retaliate. So now I think people are freaking out about the legitimacy of this institution being challenged by by other narratives that are a little bit more confrontational in their approach to Islamophobia or racist um, depictions of of people.
1: If CVS News, who like consistently just misreports what's going on in LA in regards to resistance, they were the ones that reported that last year for Trayvon Martin that the mm. W Hotel that there was property destruction that took place and there was not, and even you know the manager of W Hotel came out and said no, there was nothing that happened. You know, and they consistently play that role. And there is no sort of sense of accountability. There's nothing that we Mm. then do to CBS. I mean, other than you know, when we see them at protests, I'll try to like let people know, you know, not not necessarily the best people to allow in your spaces. And I guess that's also then brings up a good question too. In regards to the way the role the media plays, how do people feel about organizations, organizers who invite the media in, which to me like then legitimizes the media into uh, their protests or acts of resistance.
0: I Yeah, you know, I have a lot of these conflicting feelings with organizations like Black Lives Matter, for example. I feel like, I think they could do a lot to, if they just created their own institution, they have that social capital already. They can do that. You don't need Essence Magazine. It's like, yes, you're in Essence Magazine. It's all over the place. But now, since you've developed that legitimacy, why not just create an institution out of it and provide your ideas uh, because I don't feel that it's all... A lot of the things that they're doing aren't housed in appealing to white liberalism. Some of it is. Some of the people participating in it, they're like abolitionists, but... um. I feel like there is still a lot of the appealing to oppressor that's going on, which is hard to see, especially when there's so many of those Asada Shakur quotes, not using the tools of the master or using, it's hard to see that you're doing just that. You're completely ignoring the fundamental tenets of a radical thought and not appealing to people who are oppressing you. But I also feel that there is a danger right now in an independent media. A lot of these live streamers that are coming along, we can talk. Have long, long conversation about how live streaming has been compromised completely and utterly compromised when it comes to them filming the actions of people who are on the street and they're being surveilled. You know, their information is being watched not only by the police, by the state, but also fascists, known fascists. Who are looking at some of these lead organizers and wonder and calculating are these people the leaders? Like should we, should we find out who these people are and we should we you know crush them? Some of the these live streamers' footage is some of them not only sell their footage to mainstream media outlets um, for money, but also their apparently their footage is also stolen by the media and used by the media when they are in in certain actions. And it's like, they don't... It's like, how can you steal... How can an institution like... ABC7 or whatever, steal from a live streamer without there being severe financial retaliation or consequences when it comes to them just taking information without the person's permission who provided the content. But police do that too. But maybe police have this particular, since they are an institution that forgoes any sort of legal uh, crap, I feel like they do often take YouTube videos and use them as evidence. So... What do y'all think about the whole live streamer situation that's happening right now?
2: (laughs) I just, there are so many white live streamers, so I just feel like there's a, there's a degree of objectification that isn't really being discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, Separate from the whole, like, who's profiting off of it. If you're a live streamer and there's a chance that your footage might be stolen or taken or appropriated, then that should probably inform how you choose to live stream and what events you choose to cover and how you interact with the movement, um, the role of media in movements. We do a good job of sharing critical things we find in the movement, but not always creating space to create our own content. Creating our own content is really important, documenting so that we are determining what the narrative is, which takes a large degree of self-organization. When you say creating our own institutions, it just reminds me of self-organization, self-organizing mm-hmm. ourselves so that we meet our own needs in terms of crafting the messaging that we want. But I do think the movement gets really caught up in messaging and, mm. not, and doesn't really address the real-time mm. dynamics that are happening on the street, where you have a fear of how the media is going to distort. And so then instead of supporting people that are getting criminalized by the media... A lot of times people will distance themselves from the people that are being criminalized by the media and then appeal for the media, no, we're not all this, you know, we're not all um, looting, we're not all rioting, we're not all throwing this or shutting fires. And that really just makes it really easy for the state to work with the media to criminalize people, especially radical elements, especially agitated elements. It reinforces the lie that property matters more than human life. It undermines a lot of the main intent of what you're fighting against when people are often being killed over property. So it becomes about if your action or your organizing is less about the people and the conditions that are actually affecting your community and more about how to get validated or get credibility by the media. I think that's when a lot of stuff gets lost in messaging. And that's why your own media is important so that you're documenting your own resistance. It's empowering versus every time you read a media article, to some degree, it's going to be misrepresentative. It's going to be disempowering. It's not going to frame your resistance it doesn't want resistance. It doesn't. It can't profit off of resistance. It tries to profit off of resistance. It tries to contain it, and so the media ends up being the mediator of the movement between the movement and the people. And so that's why marches even happen. I think is to go out and undermine the media and go car to car and like door to door and neighborhood neighborhood and be like, hey, this is a problem. Like the media isn't representing this in a way that actually serves our struggle. So that's why. I, that's why I think people march. But back to the leaks and whistleblowing. I feel like there's almost a competitive market between the journalists that have credibility about who's going to get that, and even in uh, leftism or or critical of fascism. You know, we've got key figures: Naomi Wolf, you got Chris Hedges, you got. I'm gonna draw blanks. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you got all these pretty people. much white
0: people that appropriate mm-hmm. other people of color's writings and struggles and
2: mostly yeah, mostly white people <laughs> that are kind of the go to, oh, something horrendous happened, like this is the go like you were saying, this is the go to person. Often the people that are reporting on events are the people least affected by them. And uh-huh. the representation, this colonial logic that X is talking about, it reproduces that where basically people who are impacted don't get to reflect on what's actually happening and communicate to anyone what's actually happening and people with privilege and distance. And of course, they're not upset because they're not the ones experiencing it, but they get to come in and carry credibility and then shape the narrative. And then what we're seeing is interesting with the CIA documents being released is the state actually competing in that market and saying, we're going to whistleblow on ourselves to regain legitimacy. So what they do is they're never Mm -hmm. going to give us information that we actually Need, or if they're going to give it to us, they're going to give it to us 50 years later, or redacted, or certain selective parts that protect them. But Mm -hmm. by releasing that document, the state was basically saying, the Democrats specifically were saying, oh, it's not like we supported these torture methods when they were happening. That was a whole different administration. That wasn't us. And by releasing it, they're saying they care about it and they restore some legitimacy in the eyes of the American people or the people living under American occupation. And so I think we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more of the state manipulating information and selectively releasing things to show that it's a neutral regulating body. And the state isn't neutral. It facilitates capitalism. It uses violence and force and hierarchy in the cops and the military to do that.
0: Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of these institutions that are very much complementary to each other in terms of social control. It's like you have the media providing this information, but what are they also providing? They're providing fear You know, it strikes fear into the hearts of the masses, and the masses want something or someone to come in and provide a safety net and or mitigate that fear for them. It's it's very it's very much social control. It's really surprising whenever I watch the news and it's always 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 fear mongering. Always always telling people that oh there's this new disease that you might have. Listen to this doctor talk about this disease that you might have. So there's another bridge into an institution that provides social control for a lot of people. And I feel like other other countries who have had enough time in terms of how long they've existed, have provided that analysis that is super widespread. Like, I was looking at Chilean anarchist magazines, how they are almost like an institute. Like, they have such really, really well-funded magazines and DVDs and all these things that are talking about what we're talking about there's so much funding already put into it there's already people that know what's going on that know that every single institution is used as a means of social control they're already there but because they might be a little bit more politically inclined because of how long they've existed that's where their the narrative is i mean i'm sure they have to combat um mainstream media news and everything but and i feel like i guess it, it would be different in other countries in terms of um, certain instances of uprising or just as like a third world nation that is under the thumb of U.S. imperialism itself. So
1: you brought up about media in regards to movement branding. And it just made me think of like how much power they have when they decide to label a movement. Occupy, you know, was branded and anything that sort of happened was still getting under the label of like Occupy, you know, if anything happened in LA, it, was, it would be uh-huh. like branded Occupy LA. Um, and then now they've branded the Black Uprisings, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. So now what many thought was just like a hashtag, which people, it was actually like an organization, now this organization think they basically have ownership of this movement. And basically the media did that. <laughs> and so it's like, interesting, uh-huh. When you think of, like, the power, you know, like, quickly, whenever there's uprisings, they want so quickly to brand it. You know, Hong Kong was the umbrella movement. Um, because if you can brand it, then you can assign leadership to it, and then you can control it. It's our role as people, a part of the resistance, is to, like, sort of counter that. Because, like, we know that's what they're going to do. We know they're going to try to uh, delegitimize us. You know, they're going to try to brand us. You know, they're going to try to, like, control us and allow us to be like, co-opted. If us as individuals are consistently writing our own narratives, then it kind of, it makes it difficult for them to be able to control the narrative.
0: Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be one truth, one particular truth from one specific source. Why is it so dominated by one person reporting on on an action or a thing? Like, that's that's just, it's so Mm one-sided, you know? It's a weird, it's a really weird, I mean, it does... It does kind of display the logic of representation and or like the logic of colonialism I would say of of literally homogenizing events from one particular viewpoint that is the truth I think it it is a flaw of the logic that and tenets of colonialism. And how, yeah, it is like one thing can represent such a huge body of, of events, of things that happen. As people who are anti-authoritarian in practice and in principle, I think that it provides this critique of authorship itself, of of authority, you know, of these writings that are literally language that is institutionalized, you know, literally words that people are saying that becomes this kind of written truth that is very much shaping our reality. And I think it's really, really important to have that that particular analysis right now, because we're fighting, we're fighting that authorship, we're fighting that we're living the dystopia, and we're fighting the laws that write our reality, we don't consent to that. So it makes sense to, to rage against those uh, ideas. Tyranny of language.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could talk about media probably for five hours. And we probably should, but not tonight. So <laughs> I think that is our show. Thank you for listening to On Resistance. Uh, you can check us out on our SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. Twitter at on Resistance LA, and Facebook. Um, and email us at onresistanceradio.com at gmail. Uh, thank you.
0: Thank you, thank
1: Yeah, yeah, you know that I don't. This is me on the regular say you This is me on the regular say you know Yep yeah you know that I don't This is me on the regular say you, know. yeah, yeah, you know This is me on the regular
0: saying you know this is me on the